0: Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of the season for the Formula 1 on 1 podcast. Today, Sasha and I were able to watch the final race of the season unfold together, live in person. So this episode is also coming together, live in person. Except it's not live, you're listening to it live like after the fact, but that doesn't matter. You know, pretty great race I would say, some late inning dramatics we saw there Haas uh not Haas Aston Martin almost overtaking Alfa Romeo at the very end unfortunately Sebastian Vettel was not able to do so we had some obvious drama with Leclerc and Checo we thought Checo was you know a sure lock for second place today and then and then he just wasn't able to hold on to it but you know, I think the big story that was on everyone's mind was Sebastian Vettel's final race and how he almost propelled the team into another constructor's position just on the last lap of his last race, but unfortunately, as we mentioned, they were not able to pull through at the end. However, before you continue listening to the rest of the episode, please rate us five stars on whatever listening platform you're listening to us on, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at f one on one How's it going?
1: Justin, it's going very well as you mentioned we were able to watch this race together. Um it was very boring but it had its it had its flashpoint moments I think. You know when we saw a number 6 Williams in the wall and we all started getting a little anxious like oh no Latifi's binned it again. Is there going to be another safety car when Max was significantly in the lead? Um you know as you pointed out during the race Justin Ferrari winning Charles Leclerc a P2 in this race and in the Drivers' Championships via a good strategy call is something I don't think would have been on my bingo card halfway through the year and coming into this last race. So I guess kudos to them for actually doing something right, perhaps before Mattia Binotto gets fired. Um, You know, what else happened? I mean, we saw some great overtaking. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, obviously, that lap one incident with Carlos Sainz, he took some damage on his floor. I think that's what led to the hydraulic issue and made him retire, what, on the second to last or third to last lap, basically. Um, Yeah, and I think, as you said, a great last race from Sebastian Vettel. He was in the points. You know, unfortunately he couldn't get that extra point to put Aston Martin over the top. But I think for an Aston Martin team that was dead P nine for so long of the year and then to finally come up and even challenge for a P six basically. Um, I think it says a lot and I think this is great momentum for Aston Martin as a team going into next year. Obviously, incoming world champion Fernando Alonso taking Vettel's seat next to Lance Stroll. And I think it'll be a very, very fun team to watch and see if they can continue this, this growth that they've had in the second half of 2022.
0: Yeah, precisely. And I think, you know, last race of the season, we can kind of jump straight into the final standings of the year. So with that race, Carlos Sainz actually jumped above Lewis Hamilton for p5 in the wdc george russell has p4 checo obviously finishes behind charles they were tied on points coming in so checo sits at p3 in the championship with charles leclerc getting p2 in the wdc highest finish of his career and of course he clinched it in japan max verstappen is the 2022 formula one world driver champion but everyone knows the important race is actually in the constructor standings. So we'll go 10th to first this time. Finishing the season with eight points, we have Williams. In ninth, we have Alphatari, which is kind of surprising to me, with 35 points. Right above them, we have Haas, which managed to stay in eighth with 37 points. Then we have Aston Martin with uh 55 points actually you know now that i'm looking at these i don't think they're updated with the final uh race but it's okay because uh no one actually changed position today so everything is still accurate minus the point totals so i'll just go with the the rest without p7 we have aston martin p6 alfa romeo as we mentioned earlier aston martin alfa romeo it got tight at the end I think they ended up tying on points, actually, but Alfa Romeo had the tiebreaker. P5, McLaren, they weren't able to pass Alpine. It was too big of a task for them. Um Alpine, P4, Mercedes in P3, Ferrari P2, and as they clinched a few races ago, Red Bull are the 2022 Formula One Constructors World Champions. So, uh I think we had some interesting things this year i mean obviously first of all i don't think anyone expected mercedes to not win so that was a big storyline on its own um for red bull to win the constructors and the drivers that's obviously a very very big storyline but i think personally some of the midfield stuff is more surprising you know mclaren not being as fast as alpine this year alpha being in p9 that's hugely surprising aston martin wasn't good until past the summer break And we all thought they were going to end up finishing P9 or P8. But luckily, they bumped themselves up to P7, almost P6. Uh, And then, you know, after that, everything else was about the same as you would expect. You know, Williams towards the bottom, Haas towards the bottom. Obviously, the top three are always going to remain Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, unless someone has some drastic car development over the next year or two. But, yeah, I would say overall, we had a very entertaining season. Obviously, it was no... 2021 world drivers championship is on the line with a tide race but at the end of the day i am still grateful for the season and i think it was a very fun time yeah obviously my first full season watching the sport a great one
1: I think Justin, there are a lot of maybe smaller moments that go, um, or that will go a little unnoticed after Max Verstappen's dominance. And obviously Max should get all the credit in the world for the way he dominated this championship, right? I mean, going back as early as round four, we had Lando Norris being the only non top three car to score a podium this year. I think that's an incredible feat. Um, last week we saw George Russell's first win in Formula One, both in the sprint and in a feature race. So that was great as well. We also saw, um, you know, Mercedes get a 1-2 in Brazil. We saw a Ferrari 1-2 to start this season. We saw multiple Red Bull 1-2s. We saw Max Verstappen break the record for most race wins in a season. That brings him to 15 out of 22, which I think on my calculation is actually second for most wins in terms of, like, the raw percentage that it is. Um, 15 out of 22 is 68%, and I think Schumacher won 13 out of 17, which is 76%. So, you know, pretty close up there. I think still, obviously, an incredible feat to win all but seven races in a season, um, especially when the season lasts eight months. What else happened? I mean, obviously Haas get a pole. Haas have a early season strong surge. Um, you know, I think there were just a lot of smaller storylines that are going on. I think maybe even the downfall of Daniel Ricciardo is something that will get talked about a lot. You know, after winning a race, frankly, at Monza last year, that, you know, you can say whatever you want about it after that, just the way he seemingly fell out of touch with the McLaren um was kind of crazy. But, you know, it's interesting to see. And I think, Justin, we can now jump into the, to the weekend. It was a very, I would say, straightforward weekend. Qualifying wasn't all that
0: special. But, you know, still something for us to talk about. Yeah, I mean, in all the practice sessions, we saw Red Bull pretty much, I think. I don't know if it was all of them, but I think they were one, two for at least two out of the three practice yeah. sessions. And then we obviously know that in quali, Max Verstappen and Checo started on the grid one, too. One of the things that I thought could happen was, like, Max lets Checo buy in the beginning to give him a nice gap to Charles and let him race in clean air. But obviously, that doesn't make, like, a ton of sense. You know, he's going for as many race wins as he can, and Checo's just fighting for, like, I don't want to be rude, but, like, P2 in a WDC is meaningless to the overall, I guess. <sighs> Like, to a team that has already won the WDC and the WCC, if they win P2 and the WDC, it doesn't really matter as much to them, maybe as it does to Ferrari, where now that is their crowning achievement of the year. But, uh, you know, I still think he raced a great race, and obviously, P2 and starting P2 uh, was very good for him. And then Charles started right behind him. I thought we might see a jump early in the race, and we almost did, but Checo managed to stay ahead until the latter stages of the race. We had Carlos signs. Uh, locking out the second row with Charles, Uh, then Lewis Hamilton and George Russell uh, locking out the third row. I wonder how many times that's actually happened this season where the top three constructors have each locked out their own row. I don't think it's ever
1: happened because it's always Max and Charles on the front row.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then obviously Lando Norris, Ocon, uh, Vettel, and Daniel Ricciardo ended up rounding out those in Q3. And uh, there was a decent amount of midfield stuff going on today. Like, I feel like the broadcast was so focused on the Checo-Charles battle that you didn't get get too in-depth on what was happening in the midfield, but obviously we saw the Aston Martins kind of fighting their way, trying to claw to a WCC victory over Alfa Romeo. You saw... Oh gosh, who did you see? I mean, Lando Norris had a great race at the top of the midfield, as he always does. It It was... It was fine. It was yeah. a serviceable final race yeah. of the season.
1: There was uh there was a stretch of like 5 or 6 minutes where we saw a Vettel sandwich between the two Alpines. I think that was good. He and Alcon had a little bit of a back and forth before Alonso ended up retiring out of this race. Um I guess another thing, Lando Norris, you know, we've seen so many times Justin, in that he is clearly the best driver out of the, outside of the top six, but no one in the other, what, 14 cars or 13 cars besides him in the top six is close to challenging him, right? Like, <clears throat> we saw today, Lando was kind of in a nowhere zone. He actually ended up setting the fastest lap, I think, towards, not even towards the end, just in the middle of the race, um, which is kind of crazy to think about that. Um, <clears throat> you know, Lando Norris has, I think, somewhat silently and, underappreciatively put in what a great season, right? I think he finishes P7 in the championship. So he's obviously the best driver out of outside of the top six driving in a car that was the fifth fastest car. So I think, you know, Justin, if McLaren can somehow pull together a better car next year, I think Lando Norris is definitely going to be someone that is, um, you know, not as easily visible because of what this year was, it wasn't easy for him to get on the radar when the top six spots were always the same three cars. But I think next year, if McLaren give him a car sort of like what 2020 was or what 2021 was, I think Lando Norris definitely has a chance to maybe get that first race win, get some more um, pole positions in the sport. And I think obviously this season has proved to me that even when the car isn't great, Lando Norris is able to pull out some great performances as evidenced by his podium all the way back in Imola in April.
0: Yeah, I think one of the most damning things of the season is like Daniel Ricciardo's poor performance. And I really do think if you maybe had Oscar Piastri in that seat for the whole season, which that was never going to happen. But like, if you had someone better than Daniel Ricciardo this season, you probably beat Alpine in the constructor championship, which is probably a pretty tough pill to swallow. Because I mean, we've talked about it the whole season, he's just had an absolutely awful year. And like Sash just mentioned, I mean, being the best of the midfield, proves that you know that car is at least also capable of being top of the midfield so when you don't when you're top of the midfield but then in the constructor standings you're not it obviously (laughs) says someone's not pulling their weight and in that case that would be Daniel Ricardo he actually tied for P11 in the WDC with Sebastian Vettel on 37 points and it's key to know that Sebastian Vettel also had like two or three less races than Daniel Ricciardo this year because of COVID at the beginning of the season. And he even almost pulled it ahead of him at, at the very final stages of this race. So obviously just kind of goes to show what a per, poor performance that Ricciardo had in the McLaren this year. And, you know, maybe he'll get some sort of role as the reserve driver next year. Maybe he'll get, no, nah, I don't even know if he'll get like FP1 sessions, like probably not. Um I don't think so. Yeah, so he's probably at this point in his career, just going to be a backup I don't see him ever coming back onto the starting grid unless one of the lower field teams wants him and he's willing to take a much cheaper contract because no one's ever going to pay him the same amount that you know Red Bull or Renault or McLaren have paid him
1: yeah and I mean I think you know I mean Helmut Marko has already announced that Daniel Ricciardo will be the reserve driver for Red Bull next year Um, obviously, Daniel has not actually signed the contract yet, according to Christian Horner, but, um, Helmut Marko has confirmed that Daniel Ricardo, if, you know, Daniel is interested, will be the reserve driver for Red Bull in 2023. Um, it's interesting to note that Checo Perez's contract does not run out until the end of 2024. Um, so, perhaps Daniel's planned sabbatical might go a little longer than he would have wanted, and honestly, Justin, at the end of the day, I don't think Daniel Ricardo is ever getting back into a starting seat in F1, but... You know, we'll see how it goes. I think another interesting thing to note now is that Mick Schumacher might end up getting that Mercedes reserve driver seat. Um, you know, I think that's also quite interesting to see. The I think Toto Wolf came out and said the Schumacher name means a lot to Mercedes. And, you know, I think Mick and Toto have a great relationship. I think it would be really interesting to see. Mick getting some mentorship and some experience under the wings of Lewis Hamilton and honestly even George Russell now. I think they're both great drivers who Mick can learn a lot from. And maybe Mick will get some FP1 sessions or even at least some simulator work to understand. And perhaps we might see another Schumacher um, in that Mercedes once Lewis retires. But I think that's much further down the line. I think another thing, Justin, that's going a little under the radar is Alfa Romeo's inability to capitalize on how good their early season was. We saw Botas and Joe both score in Bahrain, and then I don't think they scored again after, like, Canada or something like that. I think they scored once after Canada. Definitely fact-check me on that, but I feel like we've talked about this a fair amount. Um, you know, I think it just speaks a lot to the improvements that Aston Martin made that they were even able to contend. Um, but, you know in Formula One, I think it's always about winning now. It's always about maximizing your car. And I know the Alfa Romeo had a lot of, um you know, reliability issues, excuse me. So it, it was hard for the drivers to put in the performances that got them points. But, you know, Botas and Joe did their best. And I think honestly, you know, Botas has a multi-year contract. I think Joe is deserving of the extension he got. And I'm really hoping that Alfa Romeo can give their drivers a better working product next year.
0: Yeah, just, just your quick little fact check. So it looks like Uh, Canada was the last time they got double points, and then they scored again in Monza, they scored in Mexico City, and they scored in Interlagos. But um, that was a P10, a P10, and a P9. So a total of four points after Canada is not exactly ideal if you're trying to defend sixth position in the (laughs) Constructors' Championship. I'm not really sure the steps that Alfa Romeo needs to take next year. Obviously, I feel like it's a lot less promising for them than it is Aston Martin, because Aston Martin was the one proving that you know they're the ones developing the car better towards the end of the season now whether that be uh, Alfa Romeo's upgrade packages didn't work or they just didn't have the money to continue developing the car this season or whether they're focused next year that's kind of it's hard to tell right now but um obviously it's one of those things now where it's every question we have is not going to be answered until the beginning of next season and obviously that's super tough because we're back at the stage where everything is just speculation again, but I think overall this has been like an extremely great season to watch, um, not only for Alpha Romeo as a team, but um, I guess just like the drivers overall. Obviously, Zhou Yu being the only rookie this year, uh, it was very nice to see that he was actually like he was useful towards the team. He was not a completely useless driver. Valtteri Bottas has been having a relatively decent year for Valtteri Bottas, like in an Alfa Romeo. I still think that they have a shot of, you know, maybe repeating the same thing next year. I don't know if they will have the capacity to pass like McLaren or Alpine, but hopefully they can stay ahead of uh, Aston Martin where I think their current competition stands. However, it will be a tough task and I'm sure we'll do a season in review for each of these teams. But yeah, Alfa Romeo is definitely one of the more intriguing ones for me.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also interesting, Justin, knowing that in the last few days, maybe the last week, there have been rumors that Ferrari team principal Mattia Binotto is going to be out sometime during the winter and Alfa Romeo team principal Frederick Vasseur is supposed to replace him. Obviously, Ferrari, um, John elkan the president of Ferrari, and Mattia Binotto have come out and put out a statement saying that, you know, I guess rumors about Binotto's position security are kind of baseless or foundationless. And when asked about it himself, Vassor has says, I don't know, you'll just have to wait and see. I think that's kind of telling, Justin, the language used in these press releases in these kind of non-answers is a little telling that even if Vassor isn't the one going to Ferrari, I think there is going to be a leadership change at... Um, at Ferrari. Um, I think Vasoro would be a great, uh, great person to lead. I think he's done a great job with Alfa Romeo, given the resources they've had to work with. They've kind of been Ferrari's B team for the last couple seasons. This year, their working relationship was a little, I guess, minimized and they were able to be a little more independent and Haas became the, the B team, quote unquote, or the closer collaborator with Ferrari. But, you know, I think an interesting move for Al, or for Alfa Romeo. And I think, When we think of P6, Justin, I think Alfa Romeo kind of fit that bill. We don't really hear about them often, and they're just kind of there, and they're not like egregiously bad, perhaps, like Williams are, and they're not on top of the world like Red Bull are. And I think we forget about them a lot, and as a result, they're in the probably most forgettable position, which is P6 in the championship.
0: (sighs) Yeah, I mean, obviously... Like I said earlier, we, we won't really know how next season's going to go until next season, but it's going to be fun speculating all of off season. Mm-hmm. I think we can kind of get into our top three moments of the weekend. Do you have any any honorable mentions or who do you who do you have for number three? Oh, actually, one thing we definitely forgot to talk about. Um, after the Abu Dhabi Formula Two round, Logan
1: Sargent officially has the required number of super license points to drive for Williams, so he will be their second driver alongside Alex Albon in twenty twenty three. I guess just a little like cool fun fact that we'll have an American on the grid next year and you know I guess nice and at least Latifi won't be there to cause any more safety cars oh gosh yeah
0: um I will say p3 for me actually you go you go p3 because I know what I want p2 and then I feel okay. like we'll agree on one. um
1: I think p3 should probably be Ah, uh, wow so many like weird moments out of this race um hmm just like moments that happened
0: um I think like what's even like a, cool what about moment? like Hamilton being able to drive fastest sector ones, even with a, with a yeah. Broken floor. Yeah. I think,
1: I think Hamilton being able to put in those laps or at least those sectors was really good. There's a lot of data analysis going around that Hamilton was the best driver in the technical sections, but just because of how draggy and slow the W13 is in a straight line, he's losing multiple tenths down the straights in sector two. And that's what ended up costing the Mercedes lap time and qualifying time. So I think the fact that Hamilton is still showing that driver's skill prowess, and if you maybe put him in equal machinery, no, no pun intended there, um, you know maybe the result could have been very, very different.
0: Yeah, I think so. For P two, I have Ferrari probably making their best strategy call of the year by leaving Charles out on the hards. I know during the broadcast we got in a radio message where they said, you know, box opposite of Red Bull, you know, meaning that you know when Checo pit that lap. He was supposedly going to pit the next lap, but obviously it was a dummy. They didn't end up doing it, and it ended up paying off. He was able to hold on to P2 for the rest of the race, which ended up giving him P2 in the world driver standings, and I think it's just a nice breath of fresh air to see a Ferrari strategy not kind of absolutely kill their driver. I mean, I like I like Sergio Perez. He's a great driver. He's on my favorite team, but it was just very refreshing to see. Ferrari not have a fuck up for once I mean it never happens so when it does it's just it's just one of the most magical things
1: yeah and I think this is like you know something perhaps we should give Ferrari more credit for I think in the last couple of races Justin they have been pretty okay with their strategy it's just that their car is not where it needs to be Um, Red Bull and or Mercedes were just faster than them in a lot of the past weekends but this weekend when it mattered when it mattered for Charles I believe he also has a clause in his ferrari contract where p2 in the championship does get him like a monetary bonus so obviously very important there um you know like you said no no strategy mishaps from ferrari and i think that's uh that's something great to take away
0: yeah for p1 in our weekend podium sebastian vettel overall just you know yeah congrats on a great career you had a great last race sort of almost It would have been even better if you passed Daniel Ricciardo at the end, but you can't, you can't get everything you wish for. I mean, obviously, what a great seat, what a great career he's had. Four world championships, 53 race wins. I think he has over a hundred podiums they were showing. It's just absolutely sad to see a legend of the sport leaving, and at least he's doing it on good terms. He's not just being like ousted from F1 like, you know, Daniel Ricciardo is or, Mick Schumacher. And I'm not saying they're greats or anything, but it's nice seeing that someone as great as Sebastian Vettel got to see it through to the end in the way that he wanted. And obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm sure he wanted to win a world championship with Ferrari and wanted to win more WDCs. But at the end of the day, you can't deny his excellence at the beginning of the 2010s between 2010 and 2013 when he won his four consecutive WDCs. So I guess yes. Congrats to Sebastian on such a great career, and hopefully we get a nice little retrospective episode about him during this off season.
1: Yeah, and I think it's just like a testament to not the great driver that Sebastian Vettel was, but also the great person he was. You know, the social causes or movements that he championed, his focus on you know making Formula One more sustainable as a sport, his focus on climate activism. Um, His, you know, desire to make F1 as a sport more inclusive, obviously, he held multiple karting and driving events for women in certain in countries where um, those kind of opportunities aren't as accessible. I think it also shows, you know, how supportive he was of the other drivers. Um, you know, I think this weekend, I think on Saturday morning, Ferrari had a little bit of a going away party for him where all of the Ferrari mechanics and, you know, just team staff, they signed one of his old engine covers from 2017. And I think that was really special. And they presented it to him. Um, there's been a quick thing. I think when Seb left Ferrari at the end of 2020, he left Charles a note saying, something to the effect of you're the most talented driver I've seen in 15 years of Formula 1, don't waste it. Um, and there's a nice little tradition that Ferrari does where if you win a world championship with them, in Marinello at the team base, you'll get a street named after you. And apparently Seb told Charles that, you know, I really wish I had one, so make sure you get one. Um, and it's really just refreshing and nice to see that in a sport that is as cutthroat as Formula One is that there are people who are kind and like warm-hearted and want to see their competitors succeed much like Sebastian Vettel did day in and day out. And he definitely made, I think, the sport better and I guess just encouraged the drivers themselves to be better people as well.
0: Yeah, definitely a loss for the sport. I'm going to be sad to not see him on the grid next year, which also kind of leads me into Brad of the week. I'm going to give that to the Aston Martin-Pitt crew for giving Sebastian Vettel a slow stop in the beginning of the race I think it ended up being like 4.4 4.8 seconds obviously you don't think of it that much then but then you see at the end he was less than a second behind uh Daniel Ricciardo at the end and you kind of wonder if that could have been the difference and obviously there's a million things you can point to but I want to do anything but point at Sebastian Vettel right now so (laughs) I'll I'll give it to the pit crew with a little grain of salt I guess
1: I think my other Brad of the Week, I guess I have two, is maybe Helmut Marco in the Thursday press conferences accidentally spoiling that Daniel Ricardo was gonna be the reserve driver for Red Bull in twenty twenty three. Or um Mick Schumacher just like di- not even dive bombing because he didn't do it properly, but like just bumping into Latifi. Oh yeah. Towards the Same end. thing as last year. Yeah. Um different corner, but obviously Mick causing Latifi to hit a wall. Um you know, I, I, it's not great. It's not a great look for Mick in a, in a race where he knows he's leaving F1 and perhaps would have wanted a clean race. It's, it's just a little difficult. And I think that obviously ruined Latifi's race. Not that Latifi was racing much, but you know, it still sucks when you have to limp back to the pits. You have to get a, you know, change and you're so far behind and you're just getting lapped and lapped and lapped. Um, I think Latifi ended up two or three laps behind the lead at the end because there was no way for him to catch up. But, um,
0: yeah. And, oh gosh, what else is there even to talk about? Like, George Russell had a decent race, right? Yeah, I mean, George Russell, well, he got
1: fifth, he started in sixth, he only got fifth because his teammate Lewis Hamilton DNF'd on, like, the second or third to last lap. Um, You know, I think Lewis Hamilton, this is going to be disappointing for him. I think... This is the
0: first time since 2016 his teammates beaten him in the WDC. Yeah,
1: um, which is crazy to think about, but then when when you think about it, it makes sense because Lewis Hamilton won, like, four straight years and then... He obviously came second to Max last year, so it's like, it makes sense, but at the same time, like, that is an incredibly dominant stretch um people will chalk it up to a lot of things they'll say experimental setups they'll say you know this or that
0: but it's still just a gre- yeah. really great season from george russell yeah uh, um, and his debut with mercedes i think he's only going to get better and if they have a good mm-hmm. car i would not be surprised if we see some like on-track tussles between him and lewis for a world champion yeah. and you know we saw it as early as last week justin
1: right where in brazil um i think it was Ric- ricardo Mosconi who is uh george russell's engineer said that, you know, Mercedes are free to race, you're racing Lewis, you're not going to be getting any team orders to defend your P1 at Brazil, uh, which would have been a very easy call, and I think a call that people wouldn't have been too upset about, even if yeah. it did come through. Um So I think the fact that Mercedes are okay with that happening is good. I think George and Lewis do get along well. I mean, obviously, we've said it a million times, your teammate is your greatest competition in Formula One, but... um I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, and Justin, we've talked about this, I guess, maybe off the show and a little bit on the show, but Mercedes, the W14, everything they've learned from the W13 this year, I think the W14 is going to be a car that is really, really, really competitive. Um,
0: or we could just be wrong again, yeah, like we, we could, were
1: this year. Yeah, that is true, that is true, but... I think I think seeing the improvements that Mercedes had, right? Like if Getting you, the on-track data is just huge, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you if you told me after Imola where Lewis Hamilton got 13th and they showed the graphic, remember, he was 77 seconds behind yeah. Max Verstappen and Imola. Um, if you told me that that car was going to get a 1-2, was going to get multiple double podium finishes this year, um, was going to be contending for P2 in the Constructors' Championship, I would yeah. have laughed in your face. Um, and, you know, obviously Mercedes P3, they're going to get more wind tunnel development time. They're going to get more CFD hours. They get a little less money, but you know, it's Mercedes. I don't think they're in any loss for cash right now. Um, I think the W13 will have a lot of positive time to develop. (laughs) And I think that's going to be really, really important going forward. And, you know, Justin, I think now it's a hundred day countdown to, uh, March 3rd, which is free practice one in Bahrain. Um, Should be fun. The next 30 days, though, are focused on a completely different sport. The FIFA World Cup, which starts in about 40 minutes as of recording this podcast right now. Qatar versus Ecuador. There's already some allegations of match fixing going on, Justin.
0: Uh, I thought those were proven to be false, though. Yeah,
1: I I heard that was also propaganda, or I guess anti-propaganda, but um after having watched the fifa uncovered uh docu-series on netflix i'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to fifa now yeah
0: anything anything they do i'm a i'm a little bit skeptical exactly and, you know you can definitely tell that the world cup is less than 40 minutes away from the time that this episode is we're not doing a 45 minute episode guys we're doing we're doing a normal length you know something to give us some time in between the first match yeah, and also, I mean, I don't know that there was much to talk about. I, the the season... We're still going to do season reviews where yeah. we can really script it and go more in-depth with teams, but at the end of the day, this is just the same as another Checkered Flag episode. We will get, obviously, the full season reviews. We're not going to do, you know, individual driver hour-long episodes, but we're going to do team reviews, or, or you're going to see a lot more content over, over the break, and, you know, yep. we might take a week off, obviously. It's been very brutal. We'll eventually get the Mexico and United, well not well, mexico the brazil the the and yeah. the united states one out the united states one will be very entertaining because it's going to be more of a narrative story than it will be a race review yeah, but, and oh boy was and it oh boy weekend. was it was it a story for the formula one-on-one podcast yep. that involved many thrills like flying to texas and losing <laughs> your id in texas and yeah. not having a <laughs> hotel room in texas and many many fun yeah. things to come but um, thank you to everyone who's listened this whole season, Sasha. I don't know if you have anything else to add. I don't either. I mean, it's been
1: a whirlwind of a season, Justin. 22 races. We've put out, uh, technically 42 episodes relating to the races. I think we've put out. This is technically episode 51 or 50. This should be episode 52, I believe. Um, it's been a wild ride. We started this all the way back at the end of January. It is now almost the end of November. So 10 months of consistency or wow. mostly consistency outside of the last couple of weeks. So that, that's on us. But, um, it's been a wild ride and I think we're really, really looking forward to reviewing the 2022 season and, I guess, Justin, hopefully bringing this show back bigger and better for 2023. <laughs> yeah, we're going to turn
0: into a professional production yes. for next year. We're going to have a little <laughs> like office space in LA and go hang out with all the other like big podcasters and stuff. So uh, when we're on Joe Rogan, we'll... Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah we'll we'll get our spotify
0: exclusive yeah we'll get video. our spotify exclusive or no we'll we'll sign on with like barstool and barstool then yeah, yeah have a public breakup and only one of us will run the show after, yeah so yeah sure I, I guess we'll have to see how that goes <laughs> over the summer but thank you to everyone who has you know listened from the beginning of the season and we hope you'll be around for next season as well and you know even during the off season we hope you're around and want to listen to more stuff so Without further ado, we will see you guys soon. We don't have a confirmed date as we normally do, but we will see you guys soon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at F1on1Pod and rate us five stars on whatever listening platform you are currently listening to us on. Peace. Have a good one, guys.